Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Official Miss Burnham. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And to make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Sailing frequencies open, sir. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hoffman. You can tweet at me at, at jhoffman, J-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. Or you can leave us a message on Facebook, facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast. And this episode is one that's been in the can for a while. We all know about Star Trek conventions. And the big one happens in Las Vegas every year. You might want to consider going this year. It's going to be a biggie. But for two years running now, there's been a convention at sea, the Star Trek Cruise, or Star Trek The Cruise, they call it. And there's going to be another one, January 2019. I hope to be there as well. There's a lot that happens on the cruise, game shows, <laughs> cooking classes, Nana Visitor will will cook with you, um, Connor Trenier will play poker with no, it wasn't Connor Trenier, it was Jeffrey Combs. We'll play uh, uh, poker with you. Uh, Armin Shimmerman will read Shakespeare with you. It's a lot going on in the cruise. Holy smokes, is it a good time. Now, one of the things that we do on the cruise, although I do the trivia, I host the trivia, different guests, Casey Biggs, also known as Damar. I think he was my, of the, I'm not going to, not no diss to the others, but Casey is a really fun guy. You know, I really liked being with Casey, and I think he'll be back again next year. Um, but we did do a live podcast, and last year, 2017, we did a live podcast that you can find uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iTunes. Radio.com. Radio.com. StarTrek.com slash podcast. Wherever you listen, you can go back a year and listen to me with Terry Farrell, Denise Crosby, and, weirdly enough, Joe Piscopo. Don't ask. This year, we've got Armin Shimmerman and Ethan Phillips, and it was a blast. So I'm not even going to – I just want to say one thing. This year's cruise, 2018, was a double. It was back-to-back. 2017, the first year, was one week at sea, six days. Next year, 2019, will be one week at sea, six days. This week, this year, they did two. And I think that was just a, they're not doing that again. It was just a little bit too much for the performers. Um, it's a lot because they're on what Ethan Phillips, who I got to, uh, I wouldn't call him like my chum, but you know, we're pals now at this point. I mean, we're, we're friendly. Um, 
he confided me. He's like, I love the cruise. He's like, he's like, Jordan, I love this. I, I love it. It's great. You know, it's good money, obviously, but it's great to be with the fans and and they get to do so much. Ethan Phillips gets to do his stand up routine. He gets to pal around. He gets to see his friends. He gets to hang out with Rene Aubergenois. You know, they did seven seasons of Benson together and they get to see each other again on the cruise. So, but the thing that he did say, and he was not complaining, don't get me wrong, but he was just stating a fact. When you're on the Star Trek cruise and you're a Star Trek actor, the minute you come out of your cabin, you're kind of on because the fans see you and they want to engage with you, even if it's just a wave. And Ethan and all the other actors, they they love the fans. I mean, the fans are, I mean, the fans are what is, is there, you know, it's a two way street without the fans. These guys are not paying the bills, but also they like these people. So they want to be with the fans and they want to engage and they don't want to be like, don't talk to me. You know, that's what the cruise is all about is interaction when it's two weeks. And the only time you can kind of just let your hair down and be silent is when you're back in your room, it's going to drive you crazy. So by the point I'm making, Brian, is that I'm I'm winding up to the, we recorded what you're about to hear on the last night. Ah, everybody was out of their minds just exhausted we had been talking so much because all you do is talk you're either on stage doing a bit doing a doing a panel doing one of your shows um you know just taking question and answer or if you're just walking on the boat on the way to have lunch you're talking to people and this includes me and i uh, do not consider myself the main attraction i am the lowest of the totem pole. There's the totem pole, there's the bottom of the totem pole, and then there's six feet away from the bottom, down beneath. <laughs> That's me. I'm just the guy. I'm the, I'm the podcast guy, and I'm the moderator, you know. So if the fans want to talk to me because they saw me with Jonathan Frakes and Michael Dorn on stage, what's it like for these guys? They're a little bit bombarded by people. So it was just by the last night, you know, Armin and Ethan were thrilled to be there and to talk to me, but it was like, oh, can't speak anymore. Like, our throats were hurting. Like, I need another Diet Coke. You know, it was just a lot of talking. I'm tired from today, and I didn't even talk that much. (laughs) So that's my wind-up. And this, for me, was a few weeks ago. I forgot what we talked about. So let's just hear it. Let's go back a few weeks. This was recorded somewhere in international waters near Cuba. We go right by Cuba. You have no reaction. I, I... you don't no, care. I'm, I'm too exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we go right by Cuba. Let's hear what it's what it sounded like. Ethan Phillips and Armin Sherman live on Star Trek: The Cruise. All right, hello everybody. Oh, and here comes Ethan Phillips. Fantastic. Hello everybody. Hello, welcome to the live podcast of uh, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast um, episode. Probably this will be episode 84 or something. We're going to run it in a couple of weeks. Uh, Brian can't be here. Everybody say hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. Brian, my, uh, my right arm, my podcast love, my podcast wife, my podcast husband. He is back in New York and had to do the Discovery uh, wrap-up uh, for episode 11 without me and what was funny is that um, my backup was going to be my friend Matt Patches who's been on the show a number of times from Thrillist.com but uh, his wife had a baby and you'd think that we could have like 
figured that timing out. Like, we knew this was going to happen. But nevertheless, uh, we didn't. So Brian had to do it on his own. I haven't listened to Brian's solo flight yet, and I'm sure that it went swimmingly. So speaking of swimming, this is like uh, all of us here on the Star Trek cruise. So, uh, you know, we're kind of going... Um, very uh, off-the-cuff, improvisational style. So I want to introduce my two guests, and we're going to maybe just do a little recollecting of the cruise for those listening at home and trying to find out just what the heck a Star Trek cruise is. So, without any further ado, the two great men who I admire and, dare I even say, love, Ethan Phillips and Armin Shimmerman. Thank, Thank you, Jordan. Jordan. It's great to see both of you guys, and I'm so glad. It's funny, when this podcast began in 2016, one of our first big um, events was a big Star Trek convention in New York called Mission New York. Was anybody at Mission New York? No, that was the problem. Nobody was there. At the Jacob Javits Center? They were there. Okay, good. All three of you were there. And that was, um, the podcast had been around for a couple of weeks, and... Um, I said, we should do a live podcast, and I, didn't, I just said, whoever you can get will be great, um, because I didn't want to be too pushy. Oh, my God. They're drinking already uh, at the live podcast. Anyway, it turned out to be Ethan and Armin, which I was thrilled about, and then when we were doing the live podcast here this year with the crews, I said, uh, uh, whoever you can get will be great. I don't want to be too pushy, and it turned out to be Ethan and Armin. How about that? <laughs> When you say Thank yes, you. I remember it. Was it a fond memory or was yes, it, it was pure hell? Oh, okay. Anytime I get together with Ethan Phillips, it's okay. a fond memory. You too, Jordan. Oh, but uh, but uh, Ethan is, uh, is one of my close friends, and it's always and he lives on one side of the country and I live on the other, although we used to live pretty close to each other. But, um, so it's great to be with him. Yeah. It's great to be with Armin, who I've known for 25 23 years. 23 years. And uh, Jordan, who I've known for six years. <laughs> and uh, this gentleman over there who I just met. Um, you see why I like to be with him? Um, I, you know, I was kind of wandering around uh, the cruise uh, all week. Uh, this is day six for me, but day 12 for these gentlemen, which is just out of sight. Um, and there are just so many surreal moments. So I just want to share a couple because um, one of them involves uh, Ethan. We, we were on, because um, Ethan has a very distinctive voice, I think you, we could all agree. And we were in Roatan the other day. Uh, for those listening at home, Roatan is a spit of dirt off the coast of Honduras with a beautiful ecosystem and, and uh, a lot of ecotourism. And so we were off the boat, and, and, and I and my wife and some people had planned to do a little day trip. And we're wandering on a way, wandering. We're walking to the guy who's going to pick us up and take us there. And then I just hear a voice, and it's the voice of Ethan Phillips. It's the voice of my beloved Neelix telling to somebody else, I don't know who, oh, you gotta touch the sloth. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, if I, why couldn't I have recorded that? You know, that's all I was. So did you touch the sloth? No, they closed at three. And uh, we were doing the zip line, which is a load of crap, in my opinion. <laughs> because although you're doing something very exciting by flying over the... the uh, you're hanging on like this. So oh, you're just catching out of the left corner of your eye a lot of green. And um, so I thought it was kind of a bit of a rip-off. Wow, all 
But right. I suppose if you get relaxed with it and find yourself in a position where you can really look at stuff, but they tell you, you know, you have to do, I have to hold here, don't do this and everything, and it scares the hell out of you, so you, you're just hanging on like this, and you get off and you're just glad you made it, and you don't see anything. Wow. So you did a Roatan zipline. Um, I mean, what a, I mean, yeah. th these things, I guess, are safe, but... Oh, yeah, it's safe. What a headline that would have been if you, you know... Noted, noted actor, met his doom, zipping across... Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Don't give him that to worry about, right please. No. <laughs> you already zipped. It's over. You, it's over, right. over. And, uh, But no, so we were going to go see the sloths, but they closed... You were too slow. They, <laughs> so we ended up seeing the snails instead, which still was open. And they were the same thing, basically. So. Armin, Armin, did you see the sloths? No. <laughs> Did you enjoy any of the biodiversity of these lovely Caribbean islands? Yes, there was, a, I can't remember which island, there was a, 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 a exhibit of, of butterflies, oh. and uh, there was an exhibit of, of rare birds. That was terrific. Um, I enjoyed the, uh, the mangrove uh, that I sort of went through. That was lovely. Um, all of that was terrific. There you go. Well, um, so those are the off-the-boat off excursions, but for people listening at home, one, one of the more surreal moments for me, and I was by myself, I think I had to run back to my cabin and grab something, and I hit the elevator button, and uh, the elevator's here on the ship, and this is, by the way, for people listening at home, this is not just like a small gathering of a couple of Trekkies on somebody else's cruise. We own the cruise. This is 2,000-plus people. Yes, uh, applaud for yourself. Applaud, applaud, applaud. 2,000 plus people uh, on one of those ginormous cruise ships that you see, the Norwegian Jade, it's called. Um, and everyone has gotten a selfie. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of pictures. Um, but what's amazing is that there, there has been a, a, a great amount of uh, decor put into it. The game room has, you know, Spocks all over the place, and there's, uh, oh, every night at dinner, I see, Ethan, I see your beautiful mug. I see uh, Neelix's uh, soup of the day, or whatever it is, which is fabulous. Um, but the elevators have been transformed into turbo shafts. There are three banks of elevators, midship, aft, and uh, four, thank you, in the front. Um, and they really look like the turbo lifts. I mean, that, I think, as far as design, is the most well-done Star Trek thing. And you can really suspend your disbelief when you push the elevator button and you're by yourself and the elevator opens and there's Dr. Crusher. And, you know, there's Gates McFadden by herself in the turbo lift, and you just kind of walk in, and uh, it's very hard not to, say, to start reciting dialogue at her. But uh, I restrained myself and merely said hello. And, uh, but that was just a moment for me of like, this is kind of a, I'm not doing a commercial for the cruise, but uh, it, it was kind of one of those great moments. So uh, Are we going out live right now? We are not going out live. So oh. you, can, you can say whatever you want, and then later, if you want me to edit oh. it out, no, just I send me a note. No, no, I'm just wondering if I can get a glass of water uh, if there's a waiter here that I could order a Diet Coke, I, have, I, I need to quench my thirst. There's a lot of salt in the food. One Diet Coke, please. Or Diet Pepsi, would that be acceptable? A Diet Pepsi is fine, thank you. A Diet Right, a tab, perhaps. May we have a tab? I don't... Diet Shasta? Diet Coke is great. A Diet Pepsi is great. Ice, please, yes, thank you so much. I'll, I owe you one. Uh, he, he thought you were saying he was nice, nice, nice. 
in, a, in addition to all of the Trek stuff, and I was speaking to somebody else, you know, what's your favorite thing? And they said, you know, I love Star Trek. I wouldn't be here otherwise, and I love... There are people the, here who, who, who know nothing about Star Trek. A few, yeah, the, the dragged along husbands and wives. Dragged along, right, yeah. Yeah. There should be, like, a support meeting for them. <laughs> there should be, like, the 3 o'clock meeting, you know. I don't know who it would be. Friends of Q or something like that. I don't know. Friends of Q. <laughs> <laughs> should be a little something where they have to meet. And, uh, you know, it's, right. been, it's been three weeks since my husband babbled to me about the Gamma Quadrant. And <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, what, what so many fans have, have said they've enjoyed is seeing, you know, our, our guys, our actors and actresses who created these characters that we love so, so much doing things other than Star Trek. So, for example, and it, to my great consternation, I wasn't able to see it, um, Armin gave two, do you want to call them lectures? Do you want to lectures. call them? Lectures, I want to call them lectures. Lectures about Shakespeare, which I hope some of you saw. But, but I didn't, and I'm, I'm annoyed at myself, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to kick myself over it too much. But can you talk a little bit, I mean, you come on the Star Trek cruise, they say they give you an hour. Uh, what do you do? Something that excites you? Is that what, it, what the pitch was? Yeah, Whatever you want to do. I just, oh. just want to say, if I get cast in a Shakespeare play, the first person I call is Armin, because he knows every single part in every single play and the thrust of the character. So it's kind of like having a textbook as a friend here if I need it. You know what I'm saying? It's really very, very nice. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you. Uh, um, everyone has a passion. Everybody does something for work and has something they do on the side. Uh, for me, uh, Shakespeare is not something I do on the side. That's what I do for work. I'm a university professor for, at the University of Southern California, as well as uh, teaching Shakespeare around Los Angeles, where I'm fairly well known as a Shakespeare teacher. Um, so when they asked me, the pitch was just that, Jordan. What do you want to do? I said, well, can I do a lecture on Shakespeare? And they said, uh, yeah, it's not really Star Trek. I said, that, but that's what I want to do. And they said, well, if that's what you want to do, you can do it. And I am so flattered and so amazed and so thankful that so many people came and so many people were enormously nice about saying how much they enjoyed it. Thank you very much. This is a man who has also written three novels, which is... To me, the most difficult thing in the world to do would be to write a novel. But you read three novels a, a yes, week. I, yeah, I do read a lot of novels. <laughs> um, yes, I've written, I've written a number of uh, novels based on a, a contemporary of Shakespeare's, a man named John Dee. Does anybody know John Dee? Uh, Dr. John Dee? Uh, so I've written three novels about Dr. John Dee, who uh, you can all ask me later, not you at home, of course, but, uh, you, or you can go online and, and, and find my novels and you'll see them there. Uh, 12, 12 2. Spock. Spock. Code Alpha. Alpha. Oh. Code Alpha. That's my ride. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are on a ship, so sometimes you hear things like Code 2 and Cold Blue. and uh, We are not sinking. This is, not, no, no, we're This fine. is not Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, Armin, let me, this is kind of a, a dopey question, but it's about Shakespeare. Um, if someone's at home and they're like, you know, uh, I'm a little intimidated by Shakespeare, maybe rather than jumping right in to read or to go see a play. I know that, you know, I have Netflix right here. What, what do you think is the best, two, a two-part question for you, sir. What do you think is the best on-ramp Shakespeare film, and what do you think is the best 
Shakespeare film ever made, going back maybe to, to Laurence Olivier or Branagh or anybody else? Um, the Romeo and Juliet done by Zeffirelli is uh, the what inspired me. That's an incredible film. Uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, production of, of Henry V is oh, yeah. a great production. But I actually, there's a TV show that will answer your question better. And all of you who, who either attended my lecture or didn't attend my next lecture and you're interested in Star Trek at all, go to YouTube. Type in either playing Shakespeare or the great dramaturge, uh, Sir, Sir John Barton. And there you will see a series of 10 to 12 lectures given by this great dramaturge, John Barton. Also, you will see the 12 young, very young beginning actors learning how to do Shakespeare. One of those young actors is a man called Patrick Stewart. Another one is a young man, Ian McKellen, uh, who you know. Um, so I recommend to anyone who is interested in just learning about Shakespeare, instead of forcing yourself to read a play or to see a play, get some background before you do that. These series of programs by the BBC are phenomenally good, easily access accessible on YouTube. Take advantage of that. Awesome. Yeah, Ian McKellen, of course, did a, a really wild version of uh, Richard III, which I think was set during World War II. Yeah, uh, somewhere, we're not quite sure if it's World War II or not, but close enough, yes. Yeah. Um, so the other great passion of Ethan Phillips is uh, offending people. And um, uh, telling jokes uh, on two marathon joke sessions, one in the main theater on the ship, the Stardust Theater, which, by the way, it has about a thousand, it fills a, a thousand seats. It's a Broadway-sized house, if not more. And then also in the nightclub upstairs, where you also uh, uh, revolted and reviled people with filthy jokes and shocking jokes. And, um, but let's but, also say they're enormously funny. Oh, yeah, well, obviously, that's a given. I would not have attended both sessions if I did not enjoy them both and enjoyed them last year as well. So... Um, and I hate to put the man on the spot. Uh-oh, oh my God, he just stormed off the stage. The, the joke about the towel. That was the one that I was, as I lay in bed last night, thinking of the great week I've had here on the Star Trek cruise, thinking about my wonderful life and how I've ended up here, uh, beside my beautiful wife, to whom I should have been making passionate love. Instead, I was thinking about you. Wow. And I was, well, thinking, I was thinking about the towel joke and how it's such a masterpiece the way you tell it. Now, this is being recorded, so I don't get this opportunity every day. Ethan Phillips, would you tell me the towel joke? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Will um, the children please leave the room? Uh, um, this, uh, this guy, uh, uh, this old Jewish guy, he, you've all heard this joke, right? Okay, this old Jewish guy, he, he can't give his wife any pleasure, no matter what he does, it's just, um, and he's so frustrated, and he goes to the uh, local rabbi, he says, Rabbi, I don't know what to do, he says, every time I make love to my wife, nothing happens, she re she, there's nothing, she just lies there, I, I, wanna, I wanna give her some pleasure, and the rabbi says, well, what you do is you go down to Chippendale, this is my Yiddish accent. <laughs> But you know, I'm 24% Jewish. You know? Yeah, not bad for a Catholic. Yeah. Ashkenazi. No, my, my sister had her DNA done. I'm 24% Ashkenazi. Really? Yeah. 
And I told all my Jewish friends, I said, now it makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, he, and the rabbi says, well, what you want to do is you, take, you go down to Chippendales and you hire a beautiful young boy, you know, built like a buff rock, and you take him back to your house and you give him a towel. He says, I should give him a towel? He says, you give him a towel, and then you get on top of your wife, and as you make love, you have this young, beautiful man wave the towel as you make love. I should have him wave the towel? Yes, you have him wave the towel. So he goes and he goes to Chippendales, he gets this gorgeous kid, they come back, he hands him a towel, he gets on top of his wife, they make love, the guy's waving the town, nothing. Woman experience, he goes back, Rabbi, he says, Rabbi, nothing happened. He says, well, this, what I want you to do now is you should wave the towel, and the young, beautiful boy should get on top of your wife. He says, I should wave the towel? He says, yes. So he goes back and gets the towel, and the kid gets on top of the wife, and the old guy's waving the towel, and sure enough, this woman has an explosion. Huge orgasm, best most sensational feelings of my life. And the guy turns to the kid and says, see, that's how you wave a towel. <laughs> Alan King, Alan King told that joke. Alan King was my favorite comedian, and I loved them all. Uh, Shelley Berman, who I had the pleasure of working with on, um, on uh, uh, Pushing Daisies. And I got to work with Shelley Berman, who was the most neurotic. And Mort Sahl, these are guys I, as a kid that I, Worshipped. I mean, they, to me, they were the gods, and uh, and you, we used to get to see them on Jack Parr and Ed Sullivan and Johnny Carson would have them on, and uh, but that was Alan King's joke. Yeah. Did they ever come to Frankie and Johnny's? They all did. Sure, okay. they all came there. Um, but uh, speaking of Shakespeare, getting back to that, um, acting is all about choices in many ways, and I want to tell Armin this experience I had in the play that we, Armin and I did a production of Hamlet together out in Los Angeles about, what, 10 years ago? Maybe longer, huh? And uh, Armin played the amazing role of Claudius, and I played Polonius. And uh, you're, not, you're not gonna tell him about the last performance where you played Claudius? No, no. no. Um, there were a lot of things that happened in that production, as you remember. But um, I decided that I wanted to play, Pol Polonius is usually a kind of a befuddled, he's played as a little bit of a, of a funny guy, um, who's not all there. Um, I mean, he's a sharp, smart fella. He's, he's got the, 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 you know, the, he's the king's hand in a way. Um, but he, he's often played and written so as a kind of befuddled guy. And he has a scene in the second, I think it's... I'm sorry? Do you, I'm sorry? Oh, um, anyway, um, I like to put people on the spot when they say something. Could you repeat that, please? Um, <laughs> So uh, there's a scene where he tells his... No, the way he tells the guy who to go to Paris. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What's that character's name? I don't remember. There's a, there's a small... Well, that's the part of Ron play. And he has this line where he says, I want you to go to Paris and keep an eye out on my, on my son, Laertes. I want to make sure that he's, you know, that he's... Um, oh, God, where was behaving I? Behaving himself. Eh? Yeah, behaving. And he says that in the play. He goes, where was I? What was I saying? Oh, yes, yes, make sure that he's behaving himself. And, and when you get there, I want you to, um, oh, gosh, where was it? What was I saying? And he, and he loses his train of thought. So I wanted to play this guy like Ehrlichman or Haldeman. I was because I wanted to play him like a real hard ass, like Cheney. But I said, what am I going to do when I get to this scene? Because he obviously is incapacitated a little bit. And thank God they cut the scene. And I never had to make the choice. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh does a film of Hamlet. The guy playing Polonius is playing him like a really hard-ass guy. 
and I'm curious, what is he going to do when he gets to the scene? This guy gets to the scene, and what does he do? He goes, I want you to go to Paris. I want you to keep an eye on my son, Laertes. What was I saying? What was I saying? In other words, are you following me? And I thought, what a great choice, man. So it's, 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 stun- it's, it's just one of those discoveries, you know. It was like he was testing it, like, hey, yeah. buddy, wake up. Yeah. When I was a little kid, I was doing a play. I, I, I was like 25, and I was doing Galileo. And I was cast as a little monk. And I went around one wonderful role. I said, well, what am I going to do? I want to make sure that everybody knows he's a monk and that, he's, that he's, sa- you know, he's holy and everything. And then three days before opening night, they gave me the costume, and it was a monk's robe. And I said, shit, I can do cartwheels on that. And they're still going to think I'm a monk. And I realized things do work for you, you know? You don't have to do all the work all the time. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Fun stuff from the Star Trek cruise. We're going to get back to it in a minute. But speaking of boats, boats, cruise ships, ships, starships, you want to know about the official Star Trek Starships collection. Fully authorized by CBS Studios, the official Star Trek Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss. It's the ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series all the way to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. Each model is cast in a specially formulated metallic resin and hand-painted with reference to the original CG models used in production and, where they exist, photos of the studio models, and each ship comes with a display base plus a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board. You can start your collection today with the Enterprise D, the classic TNG ship, the Enterprise D, for only $4.95 with free shipping. New models will then ship twice monthly, delivered directly to your door. You may cancel your subscription at any time, but you're never going to want to because these ships are awesome. For details on the entire collection and to order, go to st-starships.com slash engage, st-starships.com slash engage. You know, it's funny. Um, here I am with two great actors, and um, I... There's one thing that's so basic, so entry-level, such table stakes for actors that I, I find mystifying. It's like when I see somebody go to a piano and just automatically play. Um, I can barely remember, you know, where I need to be this week. I have, oh, I have an 8 o'clock, I have to introduce so-and-so, and I keep referring to my pages. How do you guys remember all these lines when you're doing all these plays? Like, what, what, what do you, this is superhuman to me, it really is. If you worked on, if you had six weeks of rehearsal and every day you were going in and saying the same lines over and over again. After a while, you don't want to say those lines anymore. You don't really memorize them. You're just, they just sink in. It's like when I, you know. It's 
it's a it's a muscle, and we are athletes at at in that particular muscle group, and you just you get once you know you can do it. That's the that's the caveat. Once you know you can do it, then you can do it. If you, my wife ran the marathon. It took her forever to train to be able to run the 26 miles. But once she could run the 26 miles, she could run the 26 miles because her mind said, I can do this. So you memorize Hamlet, you memorize Lear. It's because you've always done it. It's not a problem. But also because you have to. I mean, if you took the role, you have to know the lines. So that is pressure in a way and an impetus. But um, particularly in Shakespeare, you want to because every line is like a handhold on this extraordinary cliff that he's built. And you need each line to stay on, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so the, these are these are theater productions where you say you have six weeks to memorize. You always hear about in film and television, oh, you fly in and they say, oh my God, we, we can cast you right now. You fly in, you do a scene, you fly out. Yeah, but, but they're not they're not worried about you getting the lines right. Ah, they're not. Yeah. You, um, when, you, when you shoot a film, half the time the director says, throw the script out. We'll just make this up. So you're, it's not like Shakespeare. It's not like doing a a, a major play. Or, or a Star Trek show where we had to be DLP. And also deadly. the scenes are usually like page and a half. You yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and they move very slowly. A film, a, a TV show shoots eight pages a day. A film may shoot three pages a day. Um, you know, if uh, since we, you know, everybody's here, we're in a bar, there's people. If somebody has a brilliant and cogent question they want to shout out. I do. Okay, go for it. Mr. Phillips. Yes, Mr. Shimmerman. When uh -huh. did you feel that you absolutely understood Neelix? When did you feel, I know you didn't feel that in the first episode. When, how long did it take before you said to yourself, I know this guy? Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think at the audition, I, I've been around long enough to know that they cast me for who I am. And I always think of film acting and television acting as a kind of a relaxed revelation of who you are. So I, I had to suss out what the writers were doing over four or five episodes and see which way they were leaning and get their sense of what their idea of comedy was. But always I just mind my own, as you do. I, you just make it personal. You gotta make it about you, believe it or not. Because if you don't, then you're acting and you do not want to act. So you try to just use yourself and, and uh, in this, whatever the situation is. So as much as I know myself, which uh, I wonder sometimes um, how much I know. Let, let me ask you a, a second, roll up. I'm taking this away no, from you, Jordan. Fine, fine. Um, so you played an alien. Um, you'd never played an alien before and you are not an alien. No, I played, a, I played a Ferengi on Next Generation. Oh, you did? Yeah, Dr. Farrick in the third season. Did they send you my tape when you, when you got the role? Max got a tape of me when he got the Ferengi part. I, you know, I think they might have. Yes, I'm sure they did. I think they did, yeah. They had to follow in my footsteps. I had to follow in your footsteps. Um, shadow of your lobes. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to make... I, I tried in, in the beginning to give him characteristics that were not human and they said no right like I remember the first time they gave him something to eat I started eating it with my tongue and um, 
And they said, what are you doing? I said, that's how Tlaxians, yeah, I would make up all these rules. You know, I said, they're trisexual, they have taste buds all the way down their esophagus. I would make up all these different rules. And they just said, no, he, and basically it was just a Jew with rubber. And contact lenses. And contact lenses. <laughs> yeah. How about you? How long did it take you before you knew who it took was? Me, it took me about five or six episodes. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember, <laughs> I've told this story too many times, but you asked. I remember being in my trailer, and we probably had basically the same trailer, and I'm standing at the urinal, uh, peeing, and there's a, there's, there's a mirror uh, over the urinal, and I look in the mirror and go, holy Christ, I'm an alien. Uh, and, I thought, and I thought, they had to tell you, and that's good, but I realized, I don't have to play alien. The makeup says alien. Exactly. The same with the little monk's robe. It was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's when I learned. Yeah. yeah as a viewer, for, for me, the, the revelation with Quark, and I, I'm, I'm blanking on the title of the episode, but um, I don't know. The whole gang is on an away mission, and you're trapped in a cave, and, and um, Quark def, def, stands up for Ferengi culture a little bit and says, you know, we're not just about, you think we're all just greedy shysters and a joke and whatnot, but you're like, you know, this is what we believe. And, you know, the, for, the Federation, you seem so high and mighty. You know, check yourself, you know? We're, we have our own culture, too. You may not agree with it. And that, to me, I thought was just the most fascinating thing. And this was still pretty early on. And by the time you get to season seven, the, you know, the Ferengi are as valorous as anybody else in, in DS9. So, um... Do you remember that particular episode, or no? I just had, <laughs> I don't remember uh, the name of it either. But. I had a memory just now. I hadn't thought of it for years. It was the we hadn't even started filming Voyager yet, um, and I was on the lot, and I had been there for a makeup test or something, and I was wandering, and I wandered into like stage sixteen, and they were shooting a scene with Armin, and I hadn't met Armin yet. This is nineteen ninety four. And I watched from the side as Armin, you, it was a solo scene. You were doing some, some, there was a glowing orb and you were doing something with the orb and I was watching, watching you act and I thought... Oh, I think I had a towel with me at the no, time. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I just, just flash on that. I totally, I, I didn't know you yet, but uh, I was watching you act there. Yeah. And then I remember the time you came into, into the soundstage and I gave you advice about, you, ab about uh, Neelix? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. I said... Oh, congratulations, you're on, on Star Trek, that's great. That's the good news. And I said, but the bad news is, you're not Starfleet. Right. And uh, get used to the fact that the Starfleet people will solve all the problems, and you'll be left out of those decisions. And after a while, I said, that gets to be a little bit of uh, an that. ego buster, because the, the Starfleet is taking care of everything. Now, what they learned uh, for our show and for your show is that they had such good actors, both on Voyager and Deep Space Nine, that they began to give each character their own episode. So you solved your own problems as Neelix, as I eventually solved my own problems for, uh, what's his name, Quark, I guess. I mean, I think the non-Starfleet characters did so much to expand the world. I mean, if I were slingshot transported into that time period, I would not be... A captain. I would not be a fighter. What would you be? I, I would not be science officer. I would be. Uh, I, I'd be a red shirt. Oh, Goodbye. Well, so long. See you later. No, I won't. Actually, I hope not. I hope not. But no, I, I would. I, I could see myself applying for a a Neelix 
type job. Or, um, you know, I might work at Quark's for a while. Um, you don't have the lobes. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could handle the, I'm, you know, but uh, I would kiss up to Quark, I would imagine, and it wouldn't... It okay, wouldn't, we'll make an exception <laughs> in your case. <laughs> I don't know if it would get me anywhere, but no, I mean, I, I think prior to that, every non... You know, uh, Star Trek is, it's, it's not military, but there's military aspects of it in science exploration. But they'd always been... Um, Come on, let's, let's, let's be honest, Jordan. They're, they're not military? I know that's what they said in the original show, and I know, but come on. They've got blasters, they're destroying planets, they're not military. They, they Give me can a break. pivot to their militarism easily, but their primary objective, their prime The director. primary objective that they that disobey every three episodes. <laughs> well, that makes for good drama, but nevertheless, the characters like Quark or um, Neelix were always a one and done, you know? It was... Uh, Berlinghoff Rasmussen would come in for the day and then zoom off and be like, wait, what's that guy up to? That guy sounds really cool. So it was very exciting to me when, when these two characters came aboard. So um, They also yeah. realized in, in both of our cases that they, it's a serious show for the most part. They need a little comic relief. And uh, we provided that. Yeah. yeah. Good Shakespearean element, a little comic relief. Yes, exactly. Question for Ethan Phillips. Your character early in the early uh, seasons uh, played off of the character Kess, and you called her Sweeting all the time. This is the weirdest word in the English language. Is that a Talaxian thing, or is that a... It's just what the writers put in there. I, I stopped arguing with the writers. I never argued with them. I remember the very, like the third or fourth episode, I had to tuck Naomi Wildman into bed, and I had a, and I had a line where there was a stuffed animal on her bed called a Tark. Does that make maybe a tar? I had a tark too. I, yeah. I had a tark. It's a little stuffed animal. And my line was I tuck her in a bed and I say, well, Good night, Naomi. And I picked up the animal. I went, Good night, Mr. Tark. That was the line. Good night, Mr. Tark. And I said, Good night, Mr. Tark, sir. And they said, Cut. And I said, What? And they said, There's no sir. And as Armin said, we're often encouraged to improvise on television and film, not on Star Trek. They're extraordinarily proprietary about their dialogue. And uh, I said, Well, um, Okay, and they said, do you want to say, sir? And I said, I thought it was kind of cool, thinking they would say, go ahead. They said, oh, fine. Then they go over to the phone, and they call the writers. It took 20 minutes to get permission to say goodnight, Mr. Tark, sir. And after that, I said, you know, I'm never going to argue, because I don't, another 20 minutes of the makeup was 20 minutes I could never get back. Uh, so I just decided not to say anything. Wow. Wow, that's... Uh... A little yeah. nutty, but, you know, I guess they knew what they were doing well, at the end yeah, of the day. Did you have a similar experience with that where you tried to uh, maybe change a word? or? No, I, after being whipped three or four times, uh, <laughs> I, I decided not to do that anymore. The, the, for all of us, the, the, the best moment is you've just done a scene, and all heads, the, the, the director yells, cut, and all the heads on the set all turn to Judy Brown, the script coordinator, and she would look at us, and if we had gotten it absolutely right. She would go, DLP, lovey, which meant dead letter perfect. And that meant, okay, we can move on to another scene. DLP, lovey. Because if we made up a word or said it wrong, um, we got our hand slapped. And or we did it again. Lot. And it happened a lot. Because not everybody memorized their lines as well as they should. I'm not naming any names, but one of them just went to dinner. <laughs> 
And it's a lot of difficult stuff. It's tachyon rays and... and a lot of technobabble. Yeah, a lot Th of... That's why Shakespearean actors, everybody that you see on the cruise plus, uh, we get hired because we can handle language. That's what Shakespearean actors do. And we had to handle technobabble. Star Trek, if you look at the bios of a lot of... They're all stage people. Yeah. Because they had to do that. Yeah. Um, was, is, there, is there a particular line of techno babble that you that you just kind of loved and said i can't believe i'm i'm saying this no i can't remember any. i really can't the agreement in my mind was always cullum does the techno babble and wears no makeup <laughs> i wear the makeup no techno babble <laughs> did you ever have a day when you were in the makeup and there was like i mean whole, you know there was like something where you really had to go like there was like a problem and you had to leave and you still had your your lobes on or anything? Armin has an oh, amazing story. Oh, I have a very story. famous story about that. Did are you are just prodding me, or did you actually pull that out of your? Never uh, mind. Uh, I'm, I would think I, if 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 it involves you driving on the 405 dressed like uh, Quark, I think people would want to hear about. Well, it that, wasn't right? the 405, but it is that. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. How many people have heard this story? Everybody has heard this story, right? Uh, okay. Let's take a vote. If you've never heard this story, we're about to hear. Let's hear. Let's see it. Oh, that's, that's, that's a quorum. Great. So you're never going to hear this story. Um, so uh, I have in my contract, maybe it was in yours too, but in my contract it said I could not leave the Paramount lot in makeup. You had the same clause. Right. So we always had to take the makeup off every night and then go home. Uh, one day uh, we had a very early call at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, actually, at 4 o'clock in the morning. And at 4.30 in the morning, we had one of our famous Los Angeles earthquakes, a rather large one. And it shook a great deal. This is so far back. There, there were cell phones, but they were big, clunky things. And nobody really had one of those. But eventually, I called my wife at home and found out that things had been shook up a great deal. It, it was one of our larger earthquakes. And, I, and she was in a desperate situation. And uh, it took an hour to get out of my makeup. And I was already in the makeup at 4.30. And I said, I'll be right home, sweetie. I'll just, I'll, I'm, I'm getting in the car and going now. So I hung up the phone and got into my car. But first, before I got into my car, the first AD says, you can't leave the lot. And I, and I said, I'm not waiting an hour to get my makeup off. My wife needs me. And if you want to stop me, go ahead. I'm going in my car. So I get in my car. He doesn't stop me, obviously. I get in my car. There's no lights. No, no, no traffic lights are working. It, it's knocked out all the electricity. I should have known something was bad when I looked up and I could see stars in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I'm driving home. And people are, are very careful, very careful about letting the person on the right get through an intersection because there's no lights. So we're all doing that. I get to an intersection. You at home won't be able to see this, but the people here perhaps will. And uh, I'm in my makeup. I've got big ears. And um, I've got them right no, I need them. It just occurred to me I need them. There's no way my glasses can fit over my ears for me to see. So I'm driving like this. Uh, uh, 
for, for those of you who can't see me, uh, the, my glasses are about three inches in front of my face. The, 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 the ear rests are two inches in front of my nose. And, I, and I'm driving like this, and I come to an intersection, and there's a four by four, and we've just had a major earthquake. I've got my big ears on, I'm orange, I've got my glasses out like this, and the guy looks at me, it's his turn to make the turn, and he looks at me like this. <laughs> and then the next thing he does is this. <laughs> And when I drove home, my wife, who had had a very hard morning with the earthquake, saw me and just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. Now, she had seen me many, many times in makeup, in person. She'd come to the lot. But, but it was so sweet that, that I, my makeup, my coming home, just m made her laugh. And by the way, for the next week, I sort of looked at the uh, Hollywood uh, Inquirer to see if there was any alien invasion stories. <laughs> That's the nicest story ever. That's really fun. That's so sweet. All true. It's all now, true. Now, did, did, uh, did any of the producers call you into the office and say, hey, we heard a rumor that you left the lot with your ears on? Or... No. Nobody said anything at all. Um, and uh, after that, I learned to break my contract on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> I have a memory um, that is also very sweet. Um, it was probably the second or third year, and... Uh, they were filming La Cage of Fall, of whatever it was, with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane on the Paramount lot. And it was about, uh, again, I had like a 4 a.m. call. And uh, about 6.30 or 7, my makeup was done. And I had to go to stage 16, which oh, meant I had... Planet to, Hell. I had to walk down this very, very long alley between stage 8 and stage 9. And, uh, as I, and the sun was just coming up. And as I turned the corner to go down the alley... The way into the other alley, I saw this other guy turn the corner. And we got closer and closer. When I was about maybe 20 feet away, I realized it was Robin Williams. And he saw me, and he went, Mr. Nemix, oh, my God. And he started doing this whole thing. Oh, the eggs are getting too big. And he did this whole routine about being a chef in outer space for like 60 seconds or so. And then, and then he bowed and said, I love your work. And, and I said, well, I love your work, too. And he gave me a big hug and a smile. And he walked on down the rest of the way, and I walked on my way. It was just this little encounter between the two of us. He did like a private little performance for me. I'll never forget it. Wow. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. And uh, R.I.P. Dolores O'Rourdon, who I loved from the Cranberries. Yeah, I just heard Rest about in this peace. today. Yeah, yeah, this is terrible. Yeah. Great singer. Yeah. Um, you were going to say something. Uh, I, I can not. I can add to that. Uh, um, one day we were doing the House of Quark, and uh, we were on the Klingon set. Uh, lots of smoke, lots of smoke, and the directors just yelled, "Cut!" L let me prep before I go any further. Let me tell you. Uh, maybe I think it's true in your case as well. How many times a year did you see Berman on the set? Once. Once, exactly. So you need to know this for what I'm about to tell you. Um, so we, the director has yelled, cut. And out of the smoke <laughs> comes Stephen Hawking, Dr. Stephen Hawking, <laughs> being pushed by Rick Berman. 
and and Patty, uh, uh, excuse me, Judy Brown, the lady who would say DLP lovey, turned to me and said, oh, actually, I turned to her, Judy, and said, um, my God, look who's here. And Judy said, yeah, and, and, and he's brought Hawking with him. <laughs> <laughs> but the nice thing was, like, like Robin Williams, when I asked Rick, wow, why did, why did Hawking come down to the set? And he and Rick very nicely said to me, Dr. Hawking wanted to meet you, Armin. He wanted to meet Quark. Wow. That's amazing. Why, uh, why did Rick Berman never come to the set? If I was the top guy, I'd be there all the time hanging out. He didn't need to. He knew how to delegate. And if there were any problems, they came to him. But it's a cool place to go, the Star Trek set. Maybe uh, He had been doing Star Trek for a so long. long time. It was not as cool for him. My, my, my first week on the show, I did a movie called Jeffrey with Patrick Stewart. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a great movie. And I played, good movie, I played this guy, Dave, who had a 14-inch penis. And, uh, you measured it? No. The, yeah, exactly. At the sexaholics meeting, I stand up and I go, hi, my name is Dave. And everybody in the sexaholic meeting goes, hi, Dave. And I go, I have a 14-inch penis. And everybody goes, hi, Dave. <laughs> so I'm, and, and so I'm sitting on the, uh, in front of stage eight with all my makeup on. And Patrick Stewart is, is going by. And, and he comes over to introduce himself. And I said, you know, Patrick, we did a film together. He said, uh, he said what, what did we do together? I said, uh, Jeffrey. And he said, who'd you play? I said, Dave. He said, oh, the chap with the 14-inch cock. Yes, I know you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's amazing. There was there was a, a couple of years where there were TNG films being made. DS9 was was in the the, the, the middle of the Dominion War, and, and Voyager was starting up. There were three productions at once happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah Paramount uh, uh, made a lot of money on Star Trek. In fact, during that time, it, it was told to me that. Uh, Star Trek was paying for, I think, a third of the expenses on the Paramount lot. Wow. All right. They should have paid us more. <laughs> um, just to that, just, just because I'm a curmudgeon and I need to tell this story. <laughs> so um, who's the guy who's the lead in Mission Impossible? Tom Curtis. Oh. Tom Curtis was doing some film for Paramount. And it was Christmas time. It's traditional in Christmas for the studio or, or producers to give out gifts to people. So, um, as I told you, Star Trek was making a, a third of the income for Paramount. Uh, so, uh, Cruz got a new car. He got a, I don't know, a Corvette or something. I'm not sure what he got. And uh, we, who were working on Deep Space Nine, <laughs> we got a blanket. <laughs> I remember we got a, um, that's, uh, one year we got, um, it was a, uh, what were those road guides? Uh, Thomas? Thomas guides? Yeah, we got yeah. a Thomas guide. <laughs> it's a guide to, you know, over at, at, at Fraser they were getting motorcycles, you know. Thomas, Thomas guide, you get guide. it like AAA. Yeah. It's like you could get them for free, it's basically. Maps. There are a basically whole bunch of Los Angeles maps in a book, yeah. Was your blanket at least an electric blanket? It was electric blue. <laughs> <laughs> nice color, at least. Oh, man. Well, listen, um, you know, you guys have been tremendously generous with your time. You've been on this ship for, for two weeks, and you must be absolutely wow. exhausted. Wow, seems like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I just want to sum up by, uh, if you wouldn't mind, to be reflective for a moment. How would you summarize? You got two bald guys. We're always reflective. <laughs> uh, how would you summarize the Star Trek cruise experience? You're going to get home. You're going to see a pal that you haven't seen in a while. Where, where you been, Armin? I, I was in the Star Trek, Star Trek cruise. What the heck was that like? Well, I'll tell it from this perspective. And this has just happened in the last two hours. My last cruise was in 1993. It was a Star Trek cruise. And I told my agent, don't ever send me on a cruise again. I never want to do one again. When they came to me two years ago and said, uh, we'd like for you to be on the cruise, I went, I'm not so sure about this. I really don't like cruises. I'm not, it's not something, it's not just a cruise, it's just other things as well. Two hours ago, I saw my agent, uh, same agent, and I said, Lolita, ask them to invite me back as soon as possible. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, a lot of work, um, and, and they, they give us a lot to do. Um, and it's tiring and stuff, but what makes it really easy is that all you guys, the fans, I've said this before, Star Trek fans are the least cynical people I've ever met in my life. And, uh, and that's saying something in this day and age. Um, all of you, and I meet you and I talk to you and I stuff, you, you have amazing hearts. And I, I think it's something about the show that attracts people with... Uh, with all the hope you guys show. I, I know when I was a, a, a high school student, I, I studied with the Jesuits in Brooklyn, and the Jesuits said that the one, um, the one sin that hurts God the most is consenting to despair, and uh, that we have to have hope uh, or we're lost. And uh, I see that in all of you guys and gals. And uh, so it, it's a pleasure to, to be with people that are so generous of spirit as you all are. So. Thank you. Friends, ladies and gentlemen, Ethan Phillips and Armin Shimmerman. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Thank you. And folks, we're going to do round four of Star Trek trivia in a little bit. Uh, Connor Trenier is going to join us. And safe journeys home, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.